This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law podcast. Here we are. It's after yet another tax season. Um, my heart's going out. My heart going out to all of my <laughs> friends who are accountants. Um, and I do think it's a good, especially after a busy time or after kind of a stressful time, it is a good moment to recenter a little bit and think about uh, yourself in the context of your business. And to do something like that, you need somebody very smart on those topics. And that is why Amy Vetter is with me today. Amy, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. So for people who have never met you or don't know who you are, how would you describe yourself? I am a CPA and yogi, and I bridge those things together in something I call business balance and bliss. And uh, it's all about how to really go on that journey to create the energy you want for yourself, but also for the people around you. CPA and yogi, not mutually exclusive. <laughs> not mutually exclusive, exactly. Because <laughs> <Good. laughs> that, that wouldn't be very useful for this conversation. No. <laughs> so business balance and bliss, explain that. What do you mean by that? So uh, I have my own journey as a CPA and uh, I didn't do tax. So luckily I never was in that situation, but I was an auditor by background and then eventually had what's called now a client advisory service. But at the time there wasn't a name for it, but I did outsource accounting controllership services and had my own practice, was a partner in a CPA firm, uh, grew a practice to be a national practice. So it was very driven in my career and the accomplishments I wanted to have and so forth. And I had a perfect storm when I was in my early 30s of having my youngest son and uh, making partner at the same time and just feeling like I couldn't handle everything, even though from the outside, everything looked great. Mm. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't have known anything was going on internally. But I started going through this process uh, where I got sick from the pregnancy. And so the only thing I was allowed to do was yoga. And that was not news I wanted at the time. And so I started yoga and because it was the only thing I could do, I really went into it in a different perspective of being very open to it, learning about it, really understanding how it made me feel. And over time, you know, with the lessons I learned from that, I also went to therapy at that time as well, um, started realizing that I wasn't fully living my life to what I wanted. It was more for what other people wanted from me and wanted me to do. And I don't know, without that perfect storm, I would have realized it. And so that really started my path of transformation and where I took some pivots in my career. And I talk about pivots a lot in the B3 method of just really not wanting to give up your expertise and the things that you do, but trying to work it so that you find that what I call work-life harmony or happiness. And so over time, I created this methodology of business balance bliss, business being the stressors 
that we have in our daily lives of whether the things we're trying to accomplish, the deadlines we're trying to keep up with, the demands we have at work, at home, whatever those might be. Balance being, we have what I call this human toolbox of practices that we can utilize that come naturally to us if we practice it, of mindfulness and collaboration, that are things that I learned through the yoga philosophy, but found that they're things that we can use in business to make that more harmonious. And when we do that, we create bliss. And what bliss is, is the maintenance of happiness. So that is our responsibility, not looking for happiness from the outside, but how do we have moments of happiness and joy each day and take responsibility for creating that in our lives? Is it is it something that's pursued in the reverse? You start with bliss and then you work backwards, or is it something that starts with the stressors and then you work forwards? Um, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever had anyone ask me that question. I think uh, you can start at any place that you want. I think for me, um, you know, if I go back and think about my beginnings, um, even though I was having this perfect storm, I was finding these moments of happiness and yoga that I was, it was very unexpected. And that did take me down a learning path of really trying to understand why I was feeling that way. Um, but it also took me down a path of self-exploration and deep work that I had to do in order to make sure I maintain that. So happiness can be things that are blips, that we have a good day or a good moment, um, but we didn't necessarily intentionally create that or intentionally create it within ourselves. And so the point of this is that you recognize the things that make you happy or create that feeling inside of you, but how do you make sure to maintain that each day? And I think that's the work. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess that's that's the personalized part of it, right? Because mm -hmm. it's going to be different for every person. Exactly. Well, maybe the I guess the stressors would would be personalized as well. But if you yeah. sort of think about the normal pressures of a professional career, some of those are pretty universal. Yeah, I think. Well, and I, I think so. But then there's also outside circumstances that add mm -hmm. pressure to people, you know, whatever the pressures are in their family life um, can contribute to how you show up to work or financial pressures as well, especially if you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, or someone that's been in debt, you know, and trying to get out of it. So there's a lot of different pressures. And then there can just be the pressure of being a procrastinator, <laughs> you know, yes. and having trouble meeting deadlines and that sort of thing. So there's all sorts of things that create stresses in our life or in our work life. It's identifying it and being really uh, open to what those things are and aware. Because a lot of times, and I know for myself, that I found that I had to, I, I wasn't recognizing it or I purposely was pushing it down because I just needed to get to the next day. And right. I didn't want to have to really work on that or think about it or even recognize that something was off. And so you have to be in that space that you're, you know, ready to make a change and aware of what those things are. Yeah. And some of the and some of those stressors you cannot eliminate, too. You talk about, you know, talking about like uh, file, filing deadlines for accountants doing right. doing tax accounting. You're not going to change the IRS deadline. So and you're not probably not going to change 
all of your clients procrastinating behaviors that then get you the information you need to complete the work until late in in the the schedule for getting things filed. So those things are just going to exist. Well, and, and there's things that you can control and not control. And so mm -hmm. I would even use in that example because I work with a lot of accountants that, um, you know, work around the clock, can't seem to get it, you know, uh, turned around. And in that example alone, a lot of that accountability ends up being on the accountant um, because they didn't discipline their client um, to what their expectations were of being a client and and cutting them off if they aren't getting things in on time, you know? Right. So there are ways to discipline clients. There are also ways of making sure you're selecting the right clients on the way in to ensure that you aren't, you were not at their mercy. And, and it's really getting the confidence to be able to have those communications and conversations with clients, but realizing when you do, they usually respond well, and if they don't, they might not be the right client for you. We don't have to take every client. And so a lot of the overwork is that we don't get rid of clients we should be getting rid of um, that aren't the right personality fit or aren't the right um, just work style fit. And if they don't fit our model, we've got to be really serious about eliminating them. It's usually not going to make a huge hit on your revenue. It's from... I find it's more a heart space thing is that I've had this client for 15 years and well, yeah, but they're not paying you anything and they're always late and you're working overtime and why, you know, right. if they're not respecting your time. But a lot of times I'll also hear, you know, accountants complaining about clients, but they never did the work of communicating or just even giving them a shot and saying, look, if we can't get this in order next year and if I can't raise your price to be the right fee, we're probably not going to be a fit and I'll try to help you find the right fit for you. Right. Well, it's it's a little bit the the principle of positive constraints. Yes. Right. Where you you have to create constraints and then what happens is everything gets forced within those constraints and it tends to work better than you're expecting because before mm -hmm. then it's the Wild West. Anything could happen. Mm -hmm. And so any constraint feels like like you're changing the landscape. Yeah, I, I actually um, I'm a lawyer, not an accountant, but lawyers are not really that different from accountants in that right, respect, exactly. where, uh, you know, the tendency is you want to basically take every client. You want to try to help them even when they're not a good fit and they don't disclose all the information they're supposed to be giving you and they want to put un unrealistic pressure on you and they want to create arbitrary, unmeetable deadlines or not tell you about deadlines and then be angry at you for not meeting the deadline they didn't right. tell you about. And a lot of lawyers will just sort of accept that because there are other pressures in the profession that make them think they can't. If they put in those those constraints, revenue will go down, their partners will be mad at them, they won't look good from a, a profit sharing perspective, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these like this cascading uh, list Mm -hmm. of bad outcomes, right? Right. They put in those constraints, which are really invented. Most of them, they're not even real. It's just like yeah. you've told yourself that that's the case. Yeah. And I find people will go to the least common denominator True. <laughs> as an excuse to not do the work, right? Like, and, and that's the hard part is like, we usually, like I find in, in professional services that it's easier to say, oh, the client would never do that 
versus like, well, have you ever tried it? Have you ever? It's just that I don't want to have to do that work. So that's like the balance for this, right? The journey of really getting into what techniques you have internally to build that confidence, to build your communication, to get you present so you're not like monkey minding this and Mm -hmm. thinking about all the bad ways that this could go instead of the positive ways it could go because our brains tend to go to the negative instead of the positive. So it's up to us to intentionally shift that. But that's the work, right? Like those are the practices that we have to go through so that we can feel more confident to have that conversation. And once we have the conversation the first time and the second time and the third time, it gets a little bit easier. It's just getting past those first couple and um, being accountable to doing it, whether to yourself or finding an accountability partner to help you with doing it and you helping them as well. Yeah. Having somebody who's looking over your shoulder, making sure that it's actually happening is yeah. <laughs> very motivating, it turns out. Yes. We don't like to disappoint people. No. As humans. No, we don't. And we don't. And and that's the same reason we don't have the conversation, because we feel yeah. like we're disappointing. Them. That's true. It can be both a positive and negative motivator. Yeah. That's certainly yes. true. Yeah. So let's say you're uh, a hypothetical manager level, leader level okay in one of these firms and you want your firm to operate in this balanced fashion. So you don't want your uh, associates or lower employee level person living like a scared mouse in a corner all the time and actually being functioning and, and a useful part of the team. What do you do? Where do you start to make that happen? So I, I launched a book this year called Disconnect to Connect, Tap into the Power Within You to Create the Life You Desire. And it's very much about this. So there's no quick fix. That we, There is work that we have to do. And where it usually begins is our belief systems, is that we either have generational belief systems that are in there or belief systems that perpetuate perpetrate in the profession. And so every time someone new starts, the same belief systems get told over and over and over again that this is the way things have to be and the way they are and it's just the profession. And there's all sorts of belief systems that get in our way of being able to break through to that next level. And so it's first identifying what those beliefs are. And I know, you know, for me, you know, I started out in practice on my own and I was very fearful of doing it because my mom had been a business owner, lost her business. Uh, we lost our house. We had to sell everything inside of our house. And so that memory, that fear of losing everything when you take a risk um, prevents you from taking risks a lot of times. Right. And you don't even realize it's there. And so if I can't identify that that is actually holding me back from doing little things, and it's hard to get past it and actually make change. I have to be intentional about the change I want to create. And so if I want to help manage others, I've got to take a look at my own beliefs and the things that I'm passing down to people. And do I actually believe it? You know, and so when we go back to this whole, you know, working 50, 60 hours a week and take every client and that sort of thing, well, Do I actually believe we should be doing that? Or is that something that has been a habit that we just do over and over again? And that's what's been told to me is the way we do things. 
And so if I can at least identify that I don't align with the belief, then I know what the work is to do. And I have to be intentional about it because if I've always done things the same way I've always done them, my neural channels are pretty locked in on that. And so I have to come up with a new intentional way of dealing with this. So, you know, if it is with clients, I have to come up with a plan of looking through my client list and seeing which personality types don't work, which profitability model doesn't work, who is not getting me things on time or not telling me there's things I need to know, whatever Mm -hmm. those are, so I can come up with that, get my list together, and then decide how I'm going to go communicate that, where I'm going to dedicate time to that every single day, like put a process in place so I can start training myself to take that next step. So I've got to do that before I go tell someone else to do that. If I'm not believable myself in doing that, and I go tell all my staff, you need to cut 10% of your clients and go through this process, and they see I'm still holding on to clients from 20 years ago that we're making no money on, and I'm forcing them to take that client, I'm not believable as a leader. I'm not living what I'm talking about, and that's what I talk about with being a connected leader. When I go through it myself, then when I try to nurture somebody else on my team to do the same thing, I can say, this is what was hard for me. I get it. You know, what might be holding you back from making that phone call? What are you worried about? What are you, you know, then it might be that they're going to be met with resistance and they don't like conflict and whatever background they have with conflict in their life, there's like three levels deeper. And so you've got to give them the confidence of that. That's okay. You know, you're, you're probably thinking about something that may never happen and maybe shadowing with them on a first couple calls so that they see the of that conversation forward. But I believe from a connected leader standpoint, we should be nurturing people one by one because of the belief systems that each of us carry rather than trying to make change one to many. Right. They are humans, it turns out. Yes. Each, <laughs> each are individual humans and need to be treated like individual humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really interesting, um, it's a really interesting idea of looking at yourself, looking at, I guess, your own value system. I mean, there are going to be probably some values that mm-hmm. are more organizational. Presumably you buy into those. Mm-hmm. And and then making your own changes that are consistent with those and then coaching other people to basically do the thing that you did, but not try to coach them when you haven't even done it for yourself. Exactly. And they might get there in a different way and be okay with that. Sure. So it's like, you know, whatever was holding you back might be something different that's holding someone else back. So that's why doing this one by one makes you more connected to your team because then you are nurturing them. You are telling them, okay, like what resources do you need from me? What do you need from my time? How can I help you? Instead of saying, just do it. Well, that's not going to get it done. You're going to keep banging your head against the wall. You're going to be frustrated that they're not getting it done. And you also can't say, you can say like, this is how I went about it, but somebody else might need a different pathway to get to the same answer and being open to that learning process of how they get there as well. But I think when you go through it yourself, you are more open and um, compassionate toward everybody else's path because you know what you had to do to get there as well. Right. And Yeah. And everybody, you're right. Everybody will operate slightly differently. Everybody mm-hmm. 
functions slightly differently. I've known lots of different people who do things, lawyers really, who do things in many different ways. And the end result was really good work, but yes. they get there in very different ways. Right. And, and that's okay. And mm -hmm. I actually, that's my experience as well with employees or people that work with me that uh, everybody's different and everybody mm -hmm. has different strengths and ways to operate and stressors and ways that they react to stress. And that rather than trying to shoehorn everybody into one very specific model, it's better to figure out what makes them tick, what are their stressors, what are the things that they actually value, and then emphasize the things that they already do well. Mm -hmm. Help And of course, help them with things that they struggle with. Yeah. But, but take the best parts of them and help yeah. them develop those. Yeah. And also trust and empower them, you know, so... I think that's one of the hardest parts in professional services is everyone takes their client relationships to heart right? and they're very afraid to let someone else work on that client or if they would do it the exact same way as them and, and so forth, or that client's going to be, and again, we're just creating all these stories that haven't happened. Um, and so a good leader is going to help their team be able to come up with the answer in their way. And we learn from it as well, right? right? Just being open to that process and being there as a sounding board. So what I find, you know, whether it be the legal arena, the accountant arena, whatever it is, is that because it's so focused on billable time, leaders do not spend enough time helping others, you know, on this people stuff of managing people and and giving them the resources and, and taking their time away from the clients to empower others. And the only way we get to work-life harmony is to make sure other people are empowered to do the work, else you're always going to be driving yourself to midnight every single day because mm -hmm. I find that most people have the capacity to ease it. It's just they're not willing to take the time to train and and empower people to do the work. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a very broad topic. The idea yes. of delegating and delegating well, um, mm -hmm. but it's an important one, and I do think it's part of the part of the picture here. It well, yeah. it, it's it's part of. I mean, I'm saying constraints. I, I think we're kind of saying the same thing with different language, but you do have to put limits and balance on things. Otherwise, there isn't an end certainly in professional services, there really isn't an end to things to do. So no. it's a bottomless pit. Yeah. So if you don't have some enforced balance, you will continue to have a bottomless pit and you'll work till midnight every night yes. if you're not careful. Yes, you have to want it. <laughs> yes, you do. You have to want that outcome. Yes. Uh, Amy, I could uh, chat with you about this all day long, but I also know you have other things to do with your <laughs> life than talk to me. So um, if people are trying to find you, what is the best way for them to find you? Um, you can go to amyvetter.com. It's B-E-T-T-E-R. It has my books, my podcasts, uh, uh, keynotes that I speak on. So you can find all my information there. Okay, perfect. And I'll I'll add it all to the show notes so people can find it there. When they Google it, it'll it'll pop up. If they Google Amy Vetter, they'll find you too. It's not <laughs> you're not trying to hide yourself from society. Um, yes. Amy, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com, and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.